Welcome to The Last of Us Podcast on TV Podcast Industries. We're talking about The Last of Us, Episode 1, When You're Lost in the Darkness. The guys who jumped me were with Robert. He sold on battery to someone else. Nothing's lost. This is going to happen. Now we just shake it off and we go get our cards back or the battery. I need the battery, Tess. Truck's no good without one. And if I don't get to Tommy soon, he's going to die out there. Okay, we get our money back and the battery, but Joel, listen, Robert is terrified of you. So you march out of here, I'll clean Eastwood, he's going to get wind of it and skip. I need you to take a breath. Welcome, fellow survivors, to The Last of Us Podcast from TV Podcast Industries, our 737th episode of TV Podcast Industries. This time, we're starting a new show. We're starting The Last of Us. Uh, we're talking about episode one, When You're Lost in the Darkness. I'm one of your hosts, Derek. Hello there, fellow survivors. I am one of your other hosts, John. And rounding out this trio of survivors, I am Chris. The only reason I called out the number of the episode was because I thought it was quite ironic that this is episode 737 and we saw a plane crash in this episode. (laughs) (laughs) I don't normally call out the number. (laughs) We saw one plane crash, but multiple going down. Yes, we did. Yeah. Yes, we did. That's like, like, you're not just sitting under an an overpass just before the runway. No, no, no. That is like, oh, no, there's there's houses and villages down there. They're going down. Yeah, absolutely. Definitely. Absolutely. Well, we are going to be talking about our spoiler-filled thoughts about the first episode of The Last of Us, a series that we've been very excited about uh, since it was first announced. I think it was on uh, on the top of our list of anticipated shows for this year as well, or at least very high up there. Um, So really excited to talk about it. If you haven't seen the show, make sure you do watch the episode because... uh, well, it's, firstly, it's well worth watching, uh, but we will be spoiling everything about the episode, as we always do here in TV Podcast Industries. But we do want to hear your thoughts uh, as the series goes on. Make sure you contact us by emailing us at feedback at tvpodcastindustries.com, or you can go over to our Facebook group at facebook.com slash groups slash tvpodcastindustries. I have a spoiler post up there for each of the episodes as they're released, and you can share your spoiler-filled thoughts there, and we'll discuss them on the podcast. We will also be kicking off our World's End pub quiz for The Last of Us, Later in this episode, we'll give you a question on each podcast about each episode. All you need to do is gather together the nine answers uh, at the end of the season and email us to feedback at tvpodcastindustries.com with all nine of the answers for that. And we have a special prize at the end of the season. We'll be giving away The Last of Us Part 1, the remake, on PlayStation 5 or PC, depending on which one you want to play it on. Whoop, 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 whoop. Yeah, it's a big prize. Yeah, yeah, and they're they're actually holding back the PC version of the Last of Us game until the series finishes because the series apparently cleaves quite closely to the story, so they obviously uh, think that people will want to play through the story after the series finishes, which I think is quite cool. Uh, for an extra chance to get your hands on that, you can also rate us on Apple Podcasts. Send us an email with the details; just take a photograph of it. Really easy to do, uh, and email us to that email address, and you can get an extra entry into uh, into our draw for the Last of Us Part One. And if you want to be really nice, why not head over to Spotify and leave us a rating and a review there as well? Because every bit of exposure helps with a little fledgling podcast like ourselves. You know, we've only been around for 737 episodes. (laughs) We certainly have. We're still so young. (laughs) 
The grey the gray is just put in our beard for effect. Yes, yes. Luckily, it's not a video uh, a video yes. show that we do, because you'd see that all the time. Um, we all look a little bit like Joel, I think, uh, in this episode. <laughs> uh, but if you haven't subscribed to the podcast, as, as Chris mentioned, we do have 737 episodes, loads of shows that we've covered. You can subscribe to the podcast by looking for TV Podcast Industries wherever you get your podcasts, or pop on over to tvpodcastindustries.com. Loads of options there uh, to subscribe to the podcast. Without further ado, I think we need to get into the details of the episode. Yes, Derek, shout them out. <laughs> Who gave well, us what? The Last of Us is based on the 2013 PlayStation game by Neil Druckmann from game publisher Naughty Dog. Uh, the show is written and executive produced by Craig Mason and Neil Druckmann, and this first episode written for television by Craig Mason and Neil Druckmann, episode directed by Craig Mason. Um, Craig Mason is a really interesting guy. He did uh, the wonderful show Chernobyl, brilliant one-season show on HBO um, as well, so go check that out if you're interested in his, uh, in his vision uh, for this show. Uh, Neil Druckmann being the game's creator coming on board and the two of them working together and breaking this story and creating the story for HBO is a really uh, interesting connection between the two of them. Craig Mason, also a very uh, well-known podcaster. He's been podcasting for many, many years, but most recently he's done the official Chernobyl podcast after his show uh, each week. He did the official uh, Watchmen podcast as well for HBO, and now he's uh, a major guest on the uh, the regular official podcast for The Last of Us, uh, which is available every week as the episodes air. Uh, well worth listening to. He's a really interesting guy. Uh, tells loads of details behind each of those shows as well. So, uh, so yeah, definitely well worth checking out. So excited to see what they bring us throughout this season. And I John. don't like this. I don't like these really creative people coming in here, taking our jobs. No, 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 no. <laughs> they stay in their lane. They yes. stay making the stuff. We talk about the stuff. They can't cross-pollinate. <laughs> Absolutely. These multitaskers. But after, yeah. you've, after you've listened to Craig Mason on, on his podcast, or on the official Last of Us podcast, of course, mm-hmm. come over for more humbler thoughts uh, on the show Get the uh, from Irish the common show. man from yes from the from Ireland yeah. uh, for sure Get the Irish viewpoint on uh, on the last of us yes. <laughs> And John do you want to tell us what they gave us with your synopsis for the last of us episode 1 when you're lost in the darkness Sure In 2003, Joel Miller's birthday with his daughter, Sarah, is turned into a nightmare as a fungal pandemic hits their hometown of Austin, Texas, turning its victims into bloodthirsty attackers. As the fungus starts to spread, Sarah, Joel and his brother Tommy flee into the chaos, leading to dire consequences. After escaping an infected runner, Sarah is killed by a soldier who shoots her, believing her and Joel to be infected. As the soldier goes to finish off Joel, he is saved by Tommy. Twenty years later, after the planet has been ravaged by the fungal outbreak, life is harsh and desolate for the survivors in this new world. Joel lives in the Boston quarantine zone managed by the Federal Disaster Response Agency, or FEDRA, as a smuggler with his partner Tess. Confined within the walls of the quarantine zone and subject to martial law, they try to source a car battery to leave the city in search of Tommy, who has dropped out of contact from his location in Wyoming. But the local dealer, Robert, has instead sold the battery to the Fireflies, a rebel group that opposes Fedra. Joel and Tess head to confront Robert. As the Fireflies leader in Boston, Marlene, begins to enact a new mission to move a valuable asset, a young girl named Ellie from Boston... Her attempts to secure transport out of the city with Robert goes awry and she is injured in a shootout. 
Arriving at the Firefly's headquarters, a wounded Marlene pleads with Joel and Tess to take young Ellie to the Massachusetts State House. Reluctantly, Joel and Tess accept the additional burden to their plans in exchange for supplies and a fully gassed-up working vehicle. Sneaking past the heavy Federal security through No Man's Land, the group of three are caught by a soldier. He tests each of them for infection, but when Ellie stabs him, he tries to shoot her. With flashes to the death of his daughter, Joel protects Ellie, tackling the soldier to the ground and beating him to death. In the violent aftermath, Tess realises Ellie is infected. While Ellie promises them that she will not turn, there is little time to debate the situation, as they make a break from pursuing Fedra soldiers into a biological contamination area. Little do they realise that their new mission could change everything. In Joel's empty apartment back in the quarantine zone, a song plays on the radio, an 80s coded message of impending trouble. Excellent. A synopsis spanning around 50 years. <laughs> exactly. Um, a tour yeah. through the decades. <laughs> exactly. And not the full 120 minutes of the episode. <laughs> close. Close. <laughs> uh, what we normally do here on TV Podcast Industries is we talk about our major points, the things we uh, thought stood out to us about the episode. Uh, what I kind of want to kick off at the start of this episode is literally the opening. Uh, the opening that we have in 1968 here uh, with Dr. Newman and Dr. Shonhouse. Uh, talking about the idea of an outbreak for the narrative structure of this TV show opening with this moment where we have this almost sterile talk show where we have two scientists talking about the possibility of what could happen. I thought this was a great idea to establish the world, set it up and talk about the fears that play into the whole the whole society set up the horror of what's going on, really. Um, what I thought was really interesting, if you, if you listen to what Dr. Shunhouse says, he's using terms that we're all now fully aware of. He is literally talking about the global pandemic. He has to explain the word pandemic, which I find hilarious after three years of, uh, of dealing with COVID. But he's literally talking about the process by which it gets transported around the world by airplane. People traveling means that a pandemic can uh, overtake the world. And the other doctor, Dr. Newman, uh, played by uh, John Hanna, actually, yeah. um, he calls out that, yeah, you may think that's bad, but wait till you hear about the fungal virus that's also a possibility for this world. Um, what did you guys think of this as, as this opening for the episode? I I absolutely love this opening. I thought it was a really, really nice touch and, you know, a departure from the game. And I have to just question, I think I might be referring to the game quite a bit. Okay. It is my okay. touch point. So, <laughs> no <problem>. um, <laughs> But I, I loved it. I loved this opening with the scientists, you know, um, and it, it was just that in, it was also the reaction of the, the audience and the host to John Hanna, mm-hmm. uh, just talking about something that, you know, as the other scientists would have it is not on his radar at all. This mm-hmm. idea that if fungus adapts and, you know, the micro fungus, if it starts to adapt and, and what it could potentially be capable of mm-hmm. um, in terms of how it operates in, in other parts of, um, you know, the animal kingdom, like yeah. with the ants, the example of the ants and, and it being taken over was zombie ants, I think they're called once they're infected with the cordyceps. So mm-hmm. I, I really kind of like that. It, it really just gave a nice opener yeah. to this um almost a you know 
the warning of impending doom, but also now using that language with, as you say, with pandemics, viruses, influenza type, um, respiratory, uh, symptoms that we're all very familiar with. So mm-hmm. it's a really nice way of hooking in that apprehension mm-hmm. uh, about, I guess, how things can evolve and develop just generally. Um, exactly. So I, I thought this was really good. Yeah. Yeah. For me, it's the, the, the opening is twofold. This one is kind of like, hey, you remember, just let's all talk the same language. Mm-hmm. But additionally, it's beyond that because... You could say in pop culture, now I know with, with some of the, 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 my other podcast hosts, um, love a certain, uh, zombie, um, dead, uh, or mobile dead TV show, uh, that is, we can uh, say The Walking movies. Dead, Chris. We can okay. say The Walking Dead, yes. The, yes, you love The Walking Dead. Absolutely. But you could say that zombie horror or shows, movies in pop culture have kind of been done. And they, they, they've been done a lot in like the fear of the walking dead, walking dead, the other one, the another spinoff, as well as beyond that, like all the films, mm-hmm. army of dead and all those. And the uh, so, five other TV shows that are out there, Dawn of the dead and black summer, I think yeah. is another one as well. Yeah. Yep. Yeah, yeah. There's just loads. Mm-hmm. So what I think also this work to doing is going, yeah, look, this isn't your standard zombie. This isn't mm-hmm. your standard yeah. outbreak apocalypse. What we're talking about here is fungus. Yeah. yeah. It, you haven't it, seen that before, have exactly, you? Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. And really interestingly, that was kind of the situation that the game came out in back yeah. in 2013 when it came out. Pretty much every video game was doing a zombie version of their game where you, you went out and they put zombies in as the enemies and you shot them. And that was kind of the function of it. And yeah. what yeah. last of us was trying to say was we can also do really interesting stories in a post-apocalyptic world. And yeah, they're kind of like zombies, but they're not really. And yeah. I'm sure we'll talk about that as the series goes on as well. I think the important thing here or the important distinction is that they are infected. Yes. And, um, you know, in the same way as, viral or bacterial there is an infection it's just this is fungus and yes i reference zombie ants but it is to that point that they keep their host alive zombies mm-hmm. are dead and it is you know referenced um through the game but also in this episode about you know do you think that they're still alive in there that they're still that person yeah and um, because and they're being controlled. I mean, as John Hannah's character says, it's the puppeteer with the marionette. Yes. So it is that kind of, um, you know, you could arguably say they may have some form of knowledge or memory of their life, Mm -hmm. certainly in the earlier stages of that infection. Mm -hmm. So it, and it, it's to that. I always remember the whole thing around 28 days later mm-hmm. around, oh, well, are yeah. they zombies or are they infected? They're you runners. Know. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> exactly. So, you know, and well, and in fact, the, the, that first stage, that very early stage of infection in Last of Us, they are called runners. Mm-hmm. They're, or, you know, they're known as runners. They have much more uh, mobility yeah. uh, as the fungal infection the- is kind of smaller within the body, I guess, targeted more at the brain so that the fungus controls the host. So the recently infected. So that's that other side of it as well. So I would always say this is they're not zombies here. It's not a zombie apocalypse. Mm -hmm. In a sense, 
it, you could argue it's more akin to something like Outbreak or, you know, that pandemic yeah. disaster movie, in yeah. a sense. Yeah, and I know there are loads of arguments out there and have been for many years as to what is a zombie and whether, and whether these are zombies or not. I think what happens in zombie fiction a lot of the time, you don't get an explanation for where it comes from and they try to hide it. Like Walking Dead never gave an explanation for where the zombies came from. That was one of the things Robert Kirkman sat on forever, didn't want to ever talk about it. He just wanted to talk about what is a zombie apocalypse effectively. Um, whereas here we're starting it out with in the opening shots, this is where it's coming from. So it is an infection. I just had a couple of quick final points about this mm -hmm. opening as well. Uh, I love that it takes place in 1968 because that means people have known about it for decades beforehand, right? Even though John Hanna's saying, we don't think there's any possibility of a cure, and the other scientist is going, um, I don't believe in the theory that it can jump from the animal kingdom into uh, into humans. But John Hanna's saying, but what if the temperature goes up? So that's the warning of of the climate crisis that we're in now, effectively. So that's real-world situations. That's yep. exactly what happens. People were aware of what was going to happen back in the 60s and 70s. Loads of information has come out about that quite recently as well. Um, but I love that they've set all of that up within this scientific environment. It really felt like um, Frost Nixon, um, you know, the, yeah, the old David absolutely. Frost show where he's interviewing uh, people that we don't tend to see interviewed on TV anymore in big situations. We normally get, you know, stars and, and actors and, and singers and stuff like that interviewed in this kind of situation. But in the 60s, lots of shows were like this. Well, and weirdly, um, you know, through my day-to-day -day job, mm. I'm aware of research being done on beneficial forms of fungus mm -hmm. that in soil uh, and how they respond to higher soil temperatures. Mm. And in fact, when there's been a fire as to whether they're killed off or and how they respond and come back mm. to higher temperatures. So I was kind of when he as soon as he started to talk about that and how it affects that community of, of different fungal species. So mm -hmm. I was like, as soon as I heard that, I was like going, "Oh crap!" Yeah. <laughs> yes, <laughs> uh, that's that's being done around soil fungal populations. Yeah. yeah. So you were that meme out of um, of what was it Leonardo DiCaprio sitting on the chair with the kind of cigar and the bottle of pointing at the tv <laughs> like, oh my god yeah i know that i know that, that oh. <laughs> no it was just more i mean it was just more going that's weird because they're actually looking at that in terms of how soil fertility and those populations that are good for soil in terms of the fungus respond to effectively climate change mm -hmm. and to um fire hazards and temperature so yeah. i thought oh crap <laughs> <laughs> Watching out for that fungus. <laughs> but I do really like this as an opening. I think it's a, a great idea to establish it the way that they have before we get into meeting our characters for the show. But um, but again, I love uh, set back in 1968. So decades and decades beforehand, there was a warning out there. Yeah. I would I would argue, though, with the scientists, and I'm not a scientist myself. You, John, you are. You are officially Dr. John Harrison, an actual scientist. But I would argue with the scientist, <laughs> scientist there. One's arguing that the fungus can mutate and take over humans. And then says there's no cure cure for it. And I was kind of going, yeah, but surely humans can develop to defend against fungal infections like we do with other fungal infections, right? But I'm, he's kind of going, there's no cure for it. That's it. That's the end of the world for all of us. Well, it, it, I mean, he's talking back in 1968. Mm. I mean, 
all I'm going to say is when I got a fungal infection of the mouth after mm. taking sort of the inha- inhalation steroid for, you know, for a, a lung infection, mm-hmm. uh, and because it was steroidal, I got a fungal infection in the mouth. I mean, the treatment for it was horrendous. Yes. And I mean, it wasn't a pill. You had to put on effectively a fungicide mm-hmm. um, in your mouth. Yeah. So yes, Ooh, tasty. You have yeah. well, it was a mint fungicide. <laughs> the cool so, mint flavor. I mean, he's, he's been eating it ever since. Chris. Yeah. I guess they are problematic, even for like sort of pesticides to to take out fungus, and they're normally much simpler fungus. You're you actually using a pesticide in a pharmaceutical treatment yes. to get rid of it, and it's like. And, yeah. you know, and, and the side effects that are listed there, I'm kind of like, yes. oh, that's great. I remember reading those, yes. Awful, but again, not no, absolutely zero no, possibility exactly. of a exactly. cure. I thought that hey, was very defeatist. Back then, they never had athlete's foot, right? Yeah. Back then, they were smoking on television the whole way through, right? I know, uh, that was so great. So nice to see you, wasn't it? Yeah. Uh, back in the days. Right, let's go on to our major points. I think, John, you're going to kick us off with your uh, your major point for the episode. Yeah, I am. I, I think, you know, for me, dare I say, it, I'm going to take the whole of 2003, if wow. that's possible. But, I mean, sure. not, not, not really yeah. <laughs> in the sense. That second kind of we'll jump in. part, you know, we've talked about kind of the prologue here, mm-hmm. uh, that that setup of of what the the danger, what the threat is. I think for me, um, you know, it's it's that end of the world. And um, you know, some people may call it a trope. I'm not saying that that's a negative word. It's mm-hmm. just that any good apocalyptic show having that contrast of normal life and then how it all breaks down even if it is accelerated for Mm -hmm. you know dramatic purposes is really really kind of good um and i thought in in this sort of section of the the episode in 2003 you know you have all this normal goings on you have joel's birthday and and i just love that the normalcy of the interaction between him and his daughter Sarah, and also then with his brother, you know, uh, even that interaction with the neighbors next door as they're walking out with mm-hmm. the Adlers, who will play a significant part in their future life. Um, yep. you know, about effectively Sarah trying to get Joel to, 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 take some of their biscuits you know as he's like literally poking <laughs> bits of biscuit into his his mother's mouth you know Poor the Anna. elderly mother mm-hmm. um and then sort of you know i'm on atkins but sarah she will spend you know uh, a good few hours with you when she comes back see how you're doing and so on yeah. so I, I love that kind of interaction that kind of the the normalcy of it but then you know, in the background, those subtle and, you know, as as normal, not so subtle cues that there is something bad happening. So, you know, whether it's the the shop owners where Sarah goes to get Joel's watch fixed, mm-hmm. who suddenly quickly close up the re- repair shop because, you know, either the radio or the TV is going on and talking about some of the the events that are happening you know we hear about jakarta in indonesia yes we do yes and so on um and they the, you know the emergency vehicles whizzing past but I just 
just really quickly, you mentioned Jakarta. I love that uh, Joel's reaction was most people's reaction at the start of COVID. Oh, sure, it's over in China. Sure, that's miles away. Oh, sure, it's over in France. Sure, that's ages away. Uh, it was very yeah, much, yeah. where's even Jakarta? It's just, there's no, there's nothing that could connect to us over here in the US from that. Exactly. Yeah. So, you know, those kind of normal threads, but it it was the subtle ones here. I mean, I it was Sarah in school where you see the the mm. light just reflecting on her, her face. Mm-hmm. And she looks over and you see a girl with her hands sort of shaking mm-hmm. and so on, which you then later see is one of the uh, potential um, symptoms of, of this. And yes. the, the moment where she's back at the Adler's looking through their DVD collection to get something for Joel, um, a, a movie, one of Joel's favorite movies to play for his birthday when he gets home. Mm-hmm. And you just see... Granny Adler convulsing in the background in soft focus so um, was just fantastic for me. I thought this was really creepy. Um, and in terms of how Granny Adler develops over the, the course of the next sort of few hours, mm-hmm. um, I think it was also just the mouth opening. And of course, yeah. it was all blurry. It mm-hmm. was just really well done. And then when Sarah goes to to leave she's just kind of almost normal again she's just sat there as, like she had been when she arrived mm, except. except for mercy the dog <laughs> exactly. who shout out the acting chops on that dog mm-hmm. um you know what do they say never work with um children or, yeah children and animals well i think mercy the dog was just brilliant mm-hmm. um i loved uh you know as it all begins to kick off where he's scraping at the window He's whining at, at Sarah and, you know, yeah. really anxious and then barks at her as she kind of moves away from him. It was just... I love that. He's, he's basically knocking on the window going, get out here, let me in. She comes out and then tries to bring, tries to go over to the next door. Yeah. And the minute she tries, Mercy just stops dead in his tracks. And is like, I'm not going anywhere yeah, near that place. <laughs> no chance. Digging uh, the old paws yeah. in and uh, finally running off. So, yeah. like, it was just really, it felt really realistic, you mm. know, and so well done. So yeah. hats off to Mercy the dog. Absolutely. Uh, I, I, sure. I, I love that touch. You know, it's been said many times that animals are much more perceptive than, than humans about certain things, particularly health related. You know, there's, there's known instances where dogs and cats have picked up on people who have cancer before the patient knows it themselves, you know, that they'll sit with their owners. Um, so having that moment when Mercy realizes that something's going wrong with Nana and is just sitting there staring and the face of the dog is going, what the hell is going yeah. on here? Yeah. Um, <laughs> lo- love how it's captured because it is really that shocked face of the dog watching on, wondering what's what's happening, you know? It, it um, really is. Yeah. So, you know, in, in a story about the apocalypse, the, mm. how the world ends is really important. Yes. And I love the subtle nods here, primarily, um, mm-hmm. with Granny Adler um, and Mercy the dog, yeah. but also with that the kid in school, just the little yeah. kid in school shaking. Mm-hmm. And you hear a cough as well, you know, so again, just immediately in this day and age with the pandemic, yep. uh, that, um, with COVID, that whole cough, you know, coughing or sneezing suddenly became a very different thing when mm-hmm. you're on, say, a bus or a train or, or whatever. So yep. I really like those touch points. I thought they were really perceptive of, of showing, you know, this upcoming oncoming outbreak uh, of yeah. this fungal infection and 
Okay, then you really go chaotic finally when um granny adler has a few mushrooms coming out of her mouth which i absolutely thought mm, was superb yeah well exactly you well, have fry, to fry them up in a bit of butter and some chives oh, well if you can catch her Chris. <laughs> yeah, you've got to kill her first yeah um but even joel killing her with the wrench to her mm-hmm. her head um you know, in front of, of Sarah, mm. just really, um, you know, that, that shock for his child seeing her father do that. Mm-hmm. And, and again, it's to that whole point that, you know, it's not just the end of the world as we know it collectively. It became, for other reasons, the end of Joel's world as mm-hmm. well because of that. But personally, with what happens to Sarah. And, you know, I guess that end of the world ratchets up as they get into the car. Um, mm-hmm. And, you know, it's something that's very reminiscent of the game as well. Yeah, yeah. What did you think about the build-up here, Chris, in, uh, in so these moments with I the neighbours and all that kind of stuff? Loved it. it like, mm-hmm. for me, it was everything not being the focus of these first 20 minutes yeah. or so. Everything slightly in the background or a subtle nod or just because I end up having to, when we, cause for our people who are joining us for the first ever time, we usually watch the episodes multiple times, at least one, at least twice at a minimum, oh, yeah. just to kind of make sure we didn't miss anything kind of dramatic. And actually I missed the watch thing. I thought it was just kind of a girl shaking kind of her thing to annoy the to annoy Sarah. Right. And then watching it the second time and oh it's yeah. it's the beginning of the infection. Mm-hmm. Caught you. Now I got it even better. And then it was just kind of more and more and more. Mm-hmm. Um and over that course of time I'm like, this is why I've always enjoyed Craig Mill Mason's stuff, but beyond that kind of the the story of kind of uh, this opening story within the game, mm-hmm. um, because it was always more focused on the people, the character, than what's going on. Yeah. And I know you could say a lot of films make that argument. We're focused on the character, not the zombie apocalypse or the apocalypse. Mm-hmm. Everyone makes that, and that's usually very true in their own thing. But Craig Mason very much did focus Literally, he focused on the characters. Mm-hmm. Like everything was in there to focus in the background yeah. until literally it begins yeah and then it's almost a shot for shot like yeah from the point where they get in that car yeah and even before that the conversations that are going on between uh between joel and his daughter sarah and um we get a bit more tommy here than we than we got in the game but the kind of relationship that you see between these characters is directly lifted from the game there's there's specific lines of dialogue between the two of them about um about the fact that uh sarah was able to pay for the watch and then she says she's selling hardcore drugs that's all taken from that opening conversation between those two characters but established really well and i think that's one of the things that benefits them what they're kind of saying in this opening sequence even with the expansion and the extra characters that are in there what they're saying is you're in safe hands here we know how to do character drama really well and we know how to set up our characters really well because you are with them before the world falls apart and everything's and everything uh, is crashing down around them uh, before that car ride you're with them you want these people to survive and you've just seen what's happened to the neighbors next door the whole family getting taken out by 
uh, by the the reanimation, I guess, almost of uh, of Nana. Um, one of the things that was was really interesting, <laughs> well, exactly. Yeah, as she always said, I've got another ten years left in me. Absolutely, <laughs> <laughs> just with fungus coming out of my mouth. Yeah, well, I, I really like that. You know, there's a, the, the, there was something on the on the um, official podcast where Craig Meisen was talking about this, and he was saying if you notice the way we layered in Nana throughout the episode, we started out where she isn't able to eat effectively. They're pushing food in her mouth. <laughs> we we mention a line from her daughter where it was taking care of her going i don't know why i even talk to her she's completely deaf so all of these things and she's sitting in the same spot all the time all of these things are to say to you that she is there's nothing working for her and the cordyceps takes over and fixes all the things that are broken in nana so she can now run and scream and shout and and kill (laughs) effectively so that's what the cordyceps is doing to her it's effectively fixing her from the inside all the broken pieces of her but turning her into this monster that wants to go and eat her her family yeah i mean i think the great thing as well is you know you get that sense of the the immediate family of joel and sarah and and with his brother tommy over that birthday breakfast like the interaction is just fantastic Mm. and you know such a short space of time but you get the sense that these people live together can riff off one another love one another care for one another uh, as well as when it comes to an extreme situation where joel is protecting um sarah from granny adler um and similarly with tommy and protecting joel from the soldier later Mm -hmm. on so it you know and even the interactions with them getting into the the car uh, um, Mm and in the morning and the interactions with the neighbors so you know that whole scene with the adlers is much more meaningful It, it just feels um, more emotional because they, they aren't just random neighbors that you haven't seen up till this point. Mm. You know, Sarah's gone in and has helped bake um, with um, the the daughter, and you've yeah, seen them in in, mm. in the soft focus. You know that there is danger for that family yeah. with the the grand turning. So it, it it's that wonderful contrast of ignorant bliss up until the point where exactly. it affects you um and yeah. you know even then with the escape from the neighborhood mm-hmm. you know you you get a bit more painting of joel here where he's he basically you know tells uh tommy not to stop to pick up the family that's stranded by the side of the road mm-hmm. you, you know you yeah. you see so well, tell me saying they've got a kid and he's like well i've got a kid she's right here yeah. what happens if yeah. we stop at some and we all die because we stopped you know, you know she's you, the most important thing in his life you yeah. see the situation of everyone having the same idea where mm-hmm. the the motorway is clogged up um you know that car ride through the alleyways as i say you know just like the game fantastic then that chase uh and uh, through then that town with mm-hmm. all chaos uh, taking place, them getting split up, that escape through the alleyways, and again we see another runner yeah. uh, focusing in on, on Joel, who's having to carry Sarah. Mm. Um, and oh, just that flip of the neck it, uh, exactly. of the runner as it's as it sees its next victim was very very cool. That um, jerky movement, like with. Uh, granny adler as well where she kind of clicks her head up but also it's almost i i loved how that runner uh in the town went after joel and sarah because 
yes, it's being controlled by this fungus, mm-hmm. but it also can't deal with you know complex spaces. So just the fact that it's crashing into all the the shelving units and so on mm-hmm. as it, it it bursts through the door, yeah. which gives them a bit more time to escape. But then you know quickly picking it itself up as well, exactly. It? Yeah. You know yeah. to um, ultimately then they're saved by the soldier that then doesn't save them, Mm. you know? Um, And the pain of that massive moment um, with the death of of Sarah, which I think Nico Parker, again, that just how she was with a wound, Mm -hmm. because it felt like agony, you know? She didn't just the response that she did. It felt really real to me, um, you know, and the response of being sort of just sort of pulled up from being flat on the floor, mm. absolute agony, yeah. um, and the panic, the distress that she has, uh, and I, I think that played really well. It must have been really good just to react on that, but from um, from Pedro Pascal mm-hmm. uh, as Joel. So I, I thought it felt really, you know, this big moment, and um, because. You know, if you haven't played the games, you think you're going to be, and this is where it is to me is very different from The Walking Dead. You kind of think that's um, Rick and Carl, mm-hmm. and that's going to be Rick and Carl going through. It's Joel and Sarah. Mm-hmm. Now, Sarah doesn't survive the first hour of this, and it's not because of the runners. It's because of the people that you think are going to protect you in the form of soldiers, and um, yeah. ends up effectively following orders blindly because you can only sense from the you know the half conversation that he's having with his superior that well they'll be infected so just kill to kill them just kill them the order is to kill them exactly Um, and it's really shocking yeah yeah and that it's such a an interesting thing this is as you say john directly taken from the game that they did such an interesting thing here you're you're controlling sarah up until about halfway through this point, you're controlling her in the back of the car, watching all the destruction going on around her. It's only after the car crash that they have that you then control Joel. So you're being put in the in the shoes of this character, and then she's the one killed in the at the end of this of this opening. So what what a, what a great narrative choice to do that in the game, and a great you know touch to it in the show because you spend more time with Sarah in the opening that yeah. you spend with Joel. Um, so that's the kind of nod to it. I do like that they use the HBO cache to uh, to have a crashing plane crashing into the town, causing this big uh, accident that knocks them off the road. Not in the game. It's, it is. It was just a normal car crash. Um, so, But they were like, hey, we got HBO money. Let's show an actual plane coming down out of the sky uh, <laughs> at this moment because it, it is spectacular. Uh, absolutely great. Yeah. For me, this just overall, the the ending of this opening is still what gets me. I knew what was coming each and every time. I've played the opening of this game multiple times. Mm. And we'll get into how much, but I haven't played as much as my, I haven't played pretty much. I played a couple of hours of this game multiple times. Mm. But this opening I'm well aware of and I well knew what was, still knew what was coming. Still gets you right in the feels just each and every time. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Like no one likes to see a kid die. Mm-hmm. And especially when you think the kid has survived because the way the camera pans mm-hmm. and everything like that. And then 
that's what this is for me. Like I, I was watching with my wife and she kind of audibly gasped because mm-hmm. she did not think that would happen. Most people, I assume, do not think this is what you're going to happen yeah. because you do think it's going to be, oh, it's the, that's the story of Tommy and Joel and Sarah. That's, that's what this story is. Mm-hmm. We're going to show them into the next 20 years how they're surviving. Yeah. Um, so I think it's one of those kind of, and anyone's joining us for the first time, not going to know what I'm meaning, but any of our long-time listeners, they zigged when we thought they would zag. <laughs> exactly. Yeah, yeah. And you're right. No matter how much you know this opening, I think the acting that's that's there, how it's framed, how it's put together as as, a, as an opening is still surprising and still delivers yes. the emotion that, that's, uh, that we all felt uh, when we played the game. Um before we move on to the to the next point, I do want to I do want to call that out. There's a great quote from uh, from Dara O'Brien, the Irish comedian, about video games as a narrative, and it's the only form, only art form that blocks you from reading the next part of it unless you're good enough, or seeing the next part of it unless you're good enough. You know, you can spend about sixty hours play, playing The Last of Us. The game is probably fifteen hours for some people who are good at it. Other people spend <laughs> sixty hours over the course of five or six months. Um, with the story spread out and broken up because they can't get past parts of the game. So it's going to be really interesting watching the rest of the season of this show, having it almost condensed into a nine hour period of the nine episodes yeah. of the show, because we played the first time over the course of six months, myself and John definitely uh, we did absolutely got to the end and, and finished it. It's a tough game to get through, but what is rewarding about it when you do get the chance to play the game, if you haven't played the game before, what's rewarding about it is, when you die, you only go back a couple of seconds and then you can continue on and continue to try it. So you just have to push through and you will eventually get through it. But you do feel sometimes it's been about two or three weeks since you've heard any of the storyline when you're playing a video game. <laughs> Whereas here, we're going to be coming to every week getting the story all laid out and it's going to be much neater and easier to follow, I think. Well, that's what I'm really excited about mm. because if anyone plays games like i do especially ones with a horror element to mm-hmm. it then um after dying about 30 times and taking <laughs> an hour and a half or two hours to yeah. get past a particular point um and trying to adapt my strategies as to how i'm going to actually get past this point mm-hmm. just failing miserably it's almost like the story because i'm um, actually just coming down from the a the high of um having gotten past that section mm-hmm. so sometimes the story elements i actually got lost on me and in a sense this is condensing it for me because whereas yeah. the game in total would have taken considerably longer than the nine hours or the 15 hours playthrough for someone who is really good at gaming and mm-hmm. um, this is going to be nine hours and it, you know it's done in that uh real life way in the sense that you know if you die you're gonna die yes and um, <laughs> if you progress through you progress through so yeah. you know it is kind of um it's almost condensing the story into because when i play it just gets exaggerated out along the timeline of the story by my constant death exactly it's like why does that matter who's that guy again especially when you turn it off and play another game for a few months and come back it's like how do you control this thing and how do we move on any further but anyway i uh, just wanted to wanted to mention that there uh, chris do you want to take us on to your uh, your major point for the episode 100 percent. so I'm, I'm gonna basically talk about joel and tess 
uh, as a, the central characters to this show. Mm-hmm. Um, and that they will be on this because essentially you're reintroduced to Joel in 2023. Mm, 20 uh, and, years later. Yeah. yeah the, the, and it really is. It shows that the great look. Well, first of all, it shows great looks good on Pedro Pascal, but mm-hmm. we knew it would. Like, yeah. that, that was an obvious. Yeah. Um, but we, well, I, I, I'll speak for myself. I definitely didn't buy him as a 36 year old man in 20, in 2003. With his <laughs> I'm sorry, Pedro. Yeah, you're, you're a great looking man and you're a great actor, but you do not pass for 36. No, it was um, just for men. It was that real, yeah. like, no, no, you, you've literally, they've just gone in and mascaraed over all your actual gray hair. <laughs> I think part of the reason they chose not to put him in much of that, uh, of those sequences is so that they could kind of, uh, yeah, we'll we'll age him up in the next scene. Let's not dwell on him too long in these early scenes. But anyway, sorry, Chris. <laughs> uh, no, so like for me, the, the, I really want to just delve into what they spend the next forty minutes or so mm-hmm. uh, of this, really just reintroducing you to the world of twenty twenty three. So it's like, hey, you've seen the you've seen no one taking a virus serious. You've seen the virus outbreak. We're just skipping ahead. Mm-hmm. Like, let's just jump to... And they do try and kind of quickly play on your expectations because you're first introduced to Joel doing a job, like mm-hmm. manual labor. Like, that's it. He's just... You basically see him throw the remain of that the remains of that child who we see shambling in um, into the world. Mm-hmm. Uh he just he kind of heartless and just throws the remains in. And you're like, okay, he saw his daughter die. He's His heart's broken. He's no longer the man he used to be. He's just, he's in it for the money. He's he's your quintessential um, kind of tough guy, no emotions. Yeah, and then but, it, but he's a broken guy. You know, yes, like, exactly. It's the fact that the other worker that's there, the woman that's beside him, looks in and sees a child and goes, oh, no, I, I can't possibly do that. And he picks up this child in his arms exa- and carries the the boy the same way that he carried Sarah and then dumps him in the fire. It's yeah. exactly the same carrying movement that he does. It's showing this massive transition for this character, the fact that he is completely broken. You, yeah. We mentioned earlier on that the relationship between them was really set in that opening sequence. You could feel how much love he has for his daughter. And yeah. this is a completely different human being. Yeah, now. yeah. yeah. Um, the one thing, they, there's a lot of this across this episode where there's one thing or one scene and it's playing two parts mm-hmm. yeah. because again that kid basically because we just saw the kid before and we saw the kid get the red on the test mm-hmm. that test is then again used later yeah. and it's it was very cleverly set up and filmed in that order and shown in that it's teaching you in parts so that by the time but then you come to the end of this episode you're like oh i yeah. understand what that red means everywhere and, exactly. and it's a real shorthand as well that whole scene with the kid on the pure brutality of this world in the sense of you know how even a, a child is treated in this situation you know he's bound to the wheelchair they do the test mm-hmm. and then you know, effectively, I'm guessing, as they fill uh, the kid with barbiturates to kill him, um, effectively mm-hmm. assisted death um, with the injection, you know, there is this almost nod back to the the old world, the world that was, which is, you know, this, this will um, 
this will make you better, this will free you, and, yeah. you know, that choice of words that yeah, the Fedra soldier uses, we'll and get then you we'll get you... food, yeah. we'll give you all yeah. the toys that so you want to play with. Yeah. It, it, it's it's really keeping, brutal. yeah, it's mm. keeping the kid calm, but it just mm. shows the new reality that these people yeah. are being faced with, yeah. and then you see it with Joel, and it, mm-hmm. you know, it cuts to Joel incinerating people, including this kid, but you realise that you know, it, he's, as you say, he's broken. Mm-hmm. He's yeah. cynical. Um, it's sapping. It's, it's like, I mean, to be honest, you know, it's that after 20 years, it's not so much that he's grieving for Sarah still, but that changed his world. As I say, the end of the world, it changed him with the death of Sarah, as well as everything to do with the, outbreak and the world that is now i guess yeah yeah and again it's so very quickly on the kid it also shows you that just a tiny scrape on the knee yeah and that's important it's the tiniest of infections Mm -hmm. kind of it's not it's like a big chomp um on joel i like that it then starts to show you think he's just a kind of he's a (laughs) he's just your your average joe he's just working the job and then it introduces okay he's doing it for kind of Credits to food and things like that, essentially. It's the way they earn money. And then going further, over time, over the next bit of time, you're reintroduced. No, he's not. He's a bit of a dirty dealer. Yeah. Uh, he, he's a smuggler. Kind of a hustler. Kind of a hustler, and he knows. Yeah. And it's just that really fun, slow deconstruction of what you think the man is. Mm-hmm. Until you get to the end when you do see the type of man he is uh, and the pent up rage and the aggression and everything in that, when he breaks. Yes. Essentially. Yeah. But you do see all of it where he, like, he drinks himself when he thinks he has to, when he now thinks he has to go and find Tommy, Mm -hmm. he drinks himself and medicates himself into a, into a state of slumber. Yeah. Yeah. Like he, when uh, he takes, uh, when he's waiting in the apartment with Eddie later, mm-hmm. he just falls asleep and has PTSD-esque um, kind of nightmares where yeah. he awakens to Ali essentially saying, you're still talking and mumbling in your sleep. Mm-hmm. So you see very much he is that broken man and yeah. that character. And a lot of shorthand is taken, but I mm. think it's taken in a very well... Yeah. Well narrated, well, it, they didn't just kind of, they didn't have like Basil exposition come on a character and kind of go, well, Joel, you're a really broken man, blah, yeah. blah, blah, you and your alcoholic problems, blah, blah. Like yeah. they showed it in a clever way versus yeah. the more blunt hammer NPC character yeah. kind of coming in. I, I think as well, though, it is broken. As you say, there's also the, there's an, there's an anger, there's a cynicism, mm-hmm. um, you know, to him as well. I mean, even with Tess saying, now take a breath, uh, you know, when she comes back into their apartment all beaten up with the sort of black eye uh, and the cuts, it's like, take a breath. You know, Robert will run a mile and this battery that you're looking for in order to use for the vehicle to find Tommy, which again is another thing. He potentially is at, at this moment thinks he's also lost his brother. Mm-hmm. Um, so, but you know, she's trying to just calm him down and um, to say, take, 
the breath. Don't do anything rash. So the, the, there's because a, he's an absolute firecracker. Yeah, you can exactly. Tell, you can tell he is gonna go off on someone, and she knows how to manage him, which I yes. love. Love Anator of here as, yeah. as Tess. I think she's really, oh God. really good. Uh, fringe fans, anybody here? Yeah, yeah. exactly. Exactly. <laughs> Just the second I, I did not know who that's who she was playing. Right. I knew she was in the show. I did not know, who, and I was like. Perfect casting. Yeah. Yep. No, she is the old, she's going to be the old agent from Fringe by the end of that season. That's her character. <laughs> right. And they literally just might as well just taking her from Fringe into this universe. Uh-huh. But there you go. Play that character. There you I, go. I keep hearing about Mindhunter. I haven't seen Mindhunter, but I hear she's great in that as well. Oh, I um, seen that, yeah. But I just love the how she manages Joel. You know, it's one thing I find interesting about Joel. Joel effectively is Han Solo in this world because he's the smuggler. He's the one that you want that everybody knows wherever he goes within within yeah. the the um the quarantine zone. Everybody knows Joel, and everybody knows that Joel is the one that can get them what they need. So he he could be a Han Solo character, but because yeah. they've layered on all of these elements about his history, you know that he is fighting his fight to get the best life he possibly can here. Kind of all about himself, but at least with Tess here, he's got a partner who's working alongside him to get uh, what they want, you know. Um, but I kind of, I kind of like that both of them are navigating a, a different path within the quarantine zone. There's lots of people who are sitting on the street. There's lots of people who are doing very menial tasks for very uh, low reward, and the two of them are kind of working the system. Um, and smuggling things. Uh, so uh, I, I love that about the two of those characters. Well, it, it's even he skips the entire queue, mm-hmm. um, for the telegraph messages or the radio messages that have been sent out mm-hmm. by the guy in order to, you know, again, check in, see whether Tommy has, uh, you know, made contact yeah. again. And again, using the cigarettes that he's just had bartered yeah. with for the pills. Now, I thought that was quite a large payment. I'm not sure the barter system, but he was getting like a couple of, uh, he got a pack of about six or seven cigarettes and he gives the entire pack to the guy for absolutely zero information. <laughs> I thought that was, that barter system didn't work very well. He handed it over to him and the guy goes, I haven't heard anything. <laughs> yeah. I'm assuming he's, it's more. I'm assuming it's like an ongoing payment because yeah. right. we do learn that the radio station is used for other things as well later it's just because the guard handed them over as additional payment because he didn't have enough ration cards he, yeah. he said he was five short on the ration cards he handed over all this pack of cigarettes and then joel takes them out of his pocket and hands them over we know joel's not a smoker because uh, we saw him give out to tommy in the in the opening uh part of the season uh, of the of the episode uh, for smoking in the car so I, I just thought it was odd that he took that and transferred it over for uh, and the response was uh, guy lights up a cigarette and goes, nope, no information for you. <laughs> so, well, yeah. Uh, but hey, that's probably why he gets to the head of the queue, I guess, every time, right? Well, that, I mean, that's, that's what I mean. He, you know, he's resourceful. Mm-hmm. He, he's thinking those steps ahead in the yeah. sense that he probably, you know, when he saw there was a, a credit or a food stamp or whatever was paid to him for those pills by, by the soldier, and mm-hmm. um, he, he realized, well, you know, I, I don't smoke, but I can still use these, yeah. um, to navigate my way, get stuff, um, and keep, you know, keep my, I, I guess my, my in there. Mm-hmm. So yeah. I, I really enjoy that element of, of, of Joel. At, at the same time, you know, he, he, he has this hard, brash 
edge to him oh, yeah. that also doesn't make him entirely likable. Do not. Um, and and yeah. I have to say, you know, you you see a lot of um uh, graffiti uh, uh, around the quarantine zone. It says, "When you're lost in the darkness, look for the light." And um, just the guy that comes up to him and and says, "Are you lost?" And he says. If you tell me to look at the light, I'll break your effing jaw. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Which I thought was really, yeah. I just really like that. And, um, you know, again, he's not shy at coming forward to Absolutely. say, I'll beat you up. And yeah, and the, the key thing is, it, that's why he's chosen. Mm-hmm. So, yeah. well, aside from convenience of they arrive, but because of all these factors, when him and Tess do go and to get their battery back, and they find Marlene and Ellie and a lot of dead people. Mm-hmm. That is why Marlene turns around and goes, I know you can do what I need you to do. Yeah. Like, you two are known. You're a quantity. You're good at what you do. You're going to get the job done because I'm, and you're going to do it right. And you're going to do what I ask you because we're going to pay you. Yeah. It's again, they've used a lot of visual narrative shorthands to build and layer that character very well not quickly like again Mm. we're near like an hour 15 an hour 10 an hour 5 at this point Mm -hmm. by the time you're introduced we were introduced to Ellie a lot earlier but you're introduced to like the plot point yeah which is they need to get this girl out to these other people. Yeah, I, um, I love that so the plot that point they, actually for the show is that Joel needs to get to his brother in Wyoming and he's willing to do whatever is necessary to get there. And that happens yeah. to incorporate getting Ellie to this location, which we'll, yes. which we'll talk about in a second. The one thing I just wanted to quickly point out, um, I had to look it up because I'm not hugely familiar with the geography of America. I know, I know bits about it, but you mentioned Joel drinking himself into sleep effectively after looking at the maps for his trip to Wyoming from Boston. It's 2000 miles. Yeah. So I think the reason why he was lashing back so much of the, so much of the whiskey <laughs> was like 2000 miles across all the dead zones with all these people that could kill me. I don't want to do that, but I think that's part of that. Uh, well, it uh, did. Do you also think it took him 20 years to get from Austin, Texas mm-hmm. to, to Boston? Uh, to Boston. <laughs> well, exactly. yeah, he's been here a while. You can tell. You can tell he knows this this city of Boston pretty well. Uh, yeah. yeah, yeah. No, he arrived yesterday. <laughs> <laughs> he's just Joel. He's known throughout the landscape. Exactly. No, I just like look. This sets up the characters perfectly mm-hmm. because it does give you them, and it brings you literally up to them it tells you how they know these things and where they're going and what the ways yeah. and it sets them up perfectly to introduce you then to your three traveling companions when they add in ellie mm-hmm. and i'll kind of i'll, I'll yeah. throw to you derek now for your point because i know ellie is kind of connected so i think that really wraps up the joel part of a kind of my point mm-hmm. and tess i should say joel and tess yeah yeah uh, anything else about joel, joel and tess before we go on to the end um, again, I just, I loved the interaction between these two, just mm-hmm. even where she kind of slides in, um, behind him in, in, in bed, uh, after she's come back from being, uh, held up, held up or locked up for the day, um, mm-hmm. with, in, in a Fedora cell. Um, and I, just that the next day were, you know, Joel sees that she's beaten up and he goes, you're lucky you're alive. And she just wryly comes back to him. We're lucky any of us are alive, given that we've just had a massive, 
you know pandemic mm-hmm. uh, and with these uh these these fungal monstrosities uh yeah. sort of clicking and running around you know so uh, i really kind of uh, enjoyed uh, just again that their interaction the dialogue was really it was really efficient but it it layers and added so much to just their relationship mm-hmm. um you know that they get one another um and they kind of that the, the, they complement one another yeah. you know and that's what i love about their their relationship absolutely absolutely not to uh not to again sell the uh the official podcast but uh another comment from craig mason that i really liked on, on this was uh that scene between joel and uh and tess was anna torv's first day of filming oh my god so she had to do that scene and apparently afterwards she was going look it's just first day anna i'll get better as as we go on through the film and he's like that's first day anna what am i gonna get after a few weeks of her on set if this is the kind of stuff she delivers in that opening scene i thought that was uh that was fascinating so yeah really interesting gonna enjoy seeing those uh those characters play out as the show goes on uh yeah my my point just the the one thing i kind of want to cover here is the two big factions that we see in the show my my point for the episode is the the fireflies versus fedra um you kind of we kind of mentioned it a bit i just want to kind of bring it together in in this final point Fredder being in control of the world the fact that they've got capital punishment here people um who are being hanged one for um leaving the quarantine zone without authorization another being hanged for coming into the quarantine zone without authorization um they've got a foothold or the foot on the neck of all of the people in the quarantine zone if you want to live there if you want to live in safety you follow the rules or you die it's it's basically where they are you know the the fact of how brutal they were with the child coming in um fedra are in full control here and what's bred on the other side of that are the fireflies the people that are not willing to give over control to to fedra yeah well i mean it is the federal um mm-hmm. you know disaster response agency so it, i yeah. guess it's the semblance of um the 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 former government mm-hmm. you know the the federal authorities yeah. so it's interesting that you know in this world there is still that remnant there mm-hmm. I, um i i love that one of the t-shirts of of someone within the boston quarantine zone was from the Al Gore presidential run yes. from 2003. It was a really nice touch. Mm-hmm. Um, so, but it, it's interesting, you know, again, it, it, depending on the kind of apocalyptic scene, you know, does the government or the authorities of the day hang on? And here there is that semblance, mm-hmm. like with um, Why the Last Man, you mm-hmm. know, there was still, it was still trucking on, even though the, there were the, organizations in this case the fireflies that are against what they're doing and you know they they've gone draconian with the martial law Mm -hmm. you know it's the military court for judging crime yeah it's not a societal court with a jury of your peers Mm -hmm. you know that kind of stuff so it's really that whole the way it's gone it's become uh, and again i guess speaking to elements that happened uh, in the pandemic is you know after 20 years and um, how does if if it's a continuous pandemic of mm-hmm. 20 years you know when does that imposition on freedoms bite and i guess what this show is saying is that after 20 years and um, 
it's become draconian, um, yeah. but also still because of the nature of the threat that are of the infected. Mm-hmm. Um, and similarly, there's a great moment where Marlene, the leader of the Fireflies here in Boston, uh, says to one of her um, kind of lieutenants, mm-hmm. Well, after 20 years, if a rebellion hasn't done anything, then we're just graffiti paint on the wall with our symbol. So it was, it's kind of that nice little sort of both sides of that opposing view. Yeah, that's exactly it. And I'm not too sure how accurate Marlene's comment of we've been fighting this for 20 years is because. They haven't been. There's no way they've been fighting for 20 years. I think she just means the outbreak started 20 years ago. There's always been people opposed yeah. to the government and the way they've done things. We saw on the first night there were fighter jets flying in overhead. There were um, there were helicopters which were carrying people into uh, into Austin. So there must have been a big military response to this to begin with. Um, and that's what has taken over. Um, so I, I do like the the idea that we have these um the the fireflies here in boston uh versus fedra i think it's a really interesting idea and those are the two factions that we will see throughout the show there's a mention from marlene that the entirety of uh the fireflies are going to be leaving boston um immediately that night they're all going to be leaving to take the package which is ellie as we as we find out uh, and they'll be leaving the city so um so we will meet fireflies uh more um we we have mentioned that they are active throughout the rest of the u.s uh fighting back against fedra so uh so that's quite interesting i think i think we keep an eye out on those characters they're going to be people that we meet and have connections to uh to marlene i presume um throughout the rest of the show um but they don't seem to be working very well uh either side actually don't seem to be working very well i like you know the the idea of this martial law that's going on within uh with from fedra what's interesting about it is there's no option to opt out of it yeah so that i think that's the statement they're also making about hanging those people who don't have an authorization to leave and didn't have an authorization to come in it's once you're there you're under their laws you're under their their rules mm-hmm. and if you don't follow them you're dead that's it there's no other option there at all Joel has found a way around it and Tess have found their way around it occasionally to get out of the city by bribing people and, and, and doing what they do. But that's not the situation for most people there. You just live yeah. under that or you die. And the Fireflies are fighting back against that. So um, so I, th- I think that's a really interesting dynamic that, we, that, that will play out uh, as the season goes on. Yeah, definitely. Yeah. We also learn about like the key thing is like, so for example... Uh, all the orphanages give their kids over um, to them. To yes. Fedra. Yeah, I was, I was going to mention that, when, and that's kind of the last piece we need to talk about is Ellie, this major character that's been brought into the show here, played by Bella Ramsey. You know, this is the major other character that you have in the game. We've mentioned it before, Joel and Ellie are the, are the two major characters. So her introduction is really important here for anybody that knows the story. We we, we wanted to know was uh, how she was going to be introduced, what the character is going to be like in the show. There's a couple of extra tweaks uh, in there, a little bit of extra information that mention of orphanages giving their uh, giving their kids to uh, to the federal military schools. Uh, in her case, that's what she says because that's what she's heard. But it turns out for some reason Marlene is actually the one that handed Ellie over to uh to military school. She's not her mother, as she says, 
uh, obviously, but um, she's the one that handed Ellie over to uh, to the military school to keep her safe. So there's obviously some other backstory that we're that we're going to learn about Ellie as to why she was put into that situation. I guess mm. um, I, I'm guessing Marlene knew her mother uh, or knew her parents uh, for some reason, um, rather than her just being turned out from uh, from the regular orphan. Uh, transition over into into military school um but bella ramsey just does such a great job as ellie it's the same intensity that we saw uh from the character of the games it's the same uh antagonistic uh size that we saw to ellie in the games she does like to wind people up uh when we see the character she specifically likes needling at at joel um i think she likes to get under his skin and we see a little touch of that which i'll talk about in, in one second um but that's the way she starts out here, this this moment where she's obviously being tested for weeks and weeks on end. Uh, we find out it's because she has been bitten and she hasn't turned. Um, but she is already pissed off about being stuck in this situation, being locked up when she potentially is uh, is a survivor of, of the infection, right? So. Yeah, yeah. But she's met up with Joel and Tess, and now they've been given the task to take her to the Massachusetts State House, which... Um, Marlene can no longer do. Kim can no longer do. I love that Kim's fighting with Marlene about uh, about the fact that she can be the one to take her. And Marlene goes, um, "You don't even have an ear on your left hand side." Um, yeah, that the fight out obviously taking a lot out of the two of them. Um, but yeah, she's kind of pushed around a lot. I think that's that's one of the things with with Ellie because she's such an important thing. This this kid that survived an infection for now three weeks, as as she says. It's such an important thing for people that they start to look at her as a thing and start to throw her around. And, you know, um, we need to keep her safe against all odds, even if that's a bad thing for her. Even if we have to lock her down and tie her up and stick her in a room, well, at least she's safe. You know, I think yeah. that's that's yeah. what you that's what you see with Ellie in the in this uh, opening uh, part of the episode. Well, and it's also the fact that, you know, in that initial moment where they meet her, Joel and, and Tess, it is that she's unwanted luggage. Mm-hmm. She's a burden. Yeah. Um, even just the fact that she comes out of the room trying to knife Joel mm-hmm. and he responds accordingly with, you know, pointing the gun at her. I love that moment. Mm-hmm. And Marlene is like, no, no, point the gun at me, leave her out of it. Yeah. But he keeps his foot on the knife so that she can't get it again and then mm-hmm. sort of kicks it away. Like, it was really good little touches Absolutely. Uh, throughout. And, I mean, t- then, um, you know, that is that contrast. It's to the point where, you know, and, and as we move through the, the season, you know, it's this relationship of um, Joel with, and Ellie um, because it's a surrogate daughter. Uh, not, not entirely, mm. but, it, you know... It, it's it's completely different to Sarah, but that you know it, it it's even to the point in that moment of the flashback where they're in the no man's land that you know they've gotten past the main walls and the Fedra soldier stops them, tests them, and because Ellie is, um, you know the the monitor comes up red that she's infected, he's effectively going to put her down uh, and mm-hmm. kill her, and it's that. Um, you know, that brief moment of Joel's memory of the night with Sarah yeah. that makes him, um, sort of act 
decisively to protect Ellie in this instance mm-hmm. um, and effectively really beat this guy to a pulp. Absolutely. So it's, it's that, at least in that moment, it's a protectiveness of her that suddenly comes to him. Not necessarily a surrogate daughter. Maybe that's the wrong choice of words, but mm. he becomes protective of her. Yeah. I, I think at the moment, I think that's the relationship you want to see develop over the season, certainly. I think at the moment, it is it's an antagonistic relationship, yeah. and she is a package, and she is a means to an end. Um, if he gets her to the place she needs to go, then Tess and Joel get all supplies they need and get a, a proper working vehicle that can take them all those 2,000 miles to Wyoming to, to, to get Tommy. That's his impetus here um absolutely he doesn't know about ellie being infected uh, at this stage what i mean ellie stabs the the guards to get away um because she knows he'll find out but what i mean is that in this instance joel even doesn't know that's the point Mm -hmm. where it changes because of the reason why he did what he did at that moment Mm -hmm. to protect ellie with that kind of little memory or flashback of the night of the outbreak. Yeah. So yeah. even though he's not aware of it, it will still be antagonistic. Mm-hmm. You know, there's that unconscious change in how he views her at the moment and how that, I guess, infects him moving forward in mm-hmm. terms of how he, their relationship alters. She, yeah. She'll always be antagonistic. She'll always riff on him mm-hmm. uh, because like you say that's what she does and yeah. that's one of the great things of about ellie absolutely and I, I i love her little antagonistic jab at her in this episode that moment where she breaks the code that he has between uh joel and bill and frank these these messages that they send back and forth to each other as uh, through songs from the 60s 70s and 80s where mm. a 60 songs means uh there's nothing new in a 70 song means there is new stock and then uh, the 80s section is left blank and she calls him on it. She uh, pretends that uh, that there was a, a, a play of uh, of Wham's uh, Wake Me Up Before You Go-Go. Um, 80s song, what does that mean? And she sees the shock in his face means danger. So, uh, But she's winding him up because she, know, she wants to know what it is. So she's winding him up showing that she's smart, um, showing that she's uh, that that she's able to crack the code effectively so uh, just by getting a getting a, a rise out of them so yeah really enjoyed that really enjoyed these two together and it's so essential for the story of this season that uh, I'm glad we came out of the episode with uh, two great main characters right there and some fantastic supporting characters yeah definitely 100%. that's our major points from the episode anything else we want to call out about the episode that we may not have touched on for me there's just there's a load of easter eggs that I kind of I think like a lot of them are going to be mostly just for gamers uh, or okay. people who have played the game. Hmm. So, for example, like the film is a rip from their favorite film in the in the game, right? Being a poster on the wall, the T-shirt that uh, Sarah is wearing mm-hmm. is a band, and on the back is a lot of tour dates, and all the tour dates are literally the order of where they go in the game including one or two more, which we assume they might show actually in the show. Oh, very good, because that's, um, that's the T-shirt is the same T-shirt. The band is the same T-shirt that Sarah in the game's wearing. So Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Which is yeah. Very cool. So it's just yeah. nice little nods to yeah. that. Yeah. So this, I, I get the feeling a lot of it is going to be 
if you have played the games, you will enjoy this. Yeah. Like, you're going to go, oh, my God, oh, my God, that's, 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 like, I think it's all going to be just for that. But for anyone who hasn't, we'll call out one or two of them in the future as we go through. Mm-hmm. Um, but I, I don't want to get too deep into it because some of it just is like, this is like, hey, if you played it, here's a, here's a nod. There you go, quick. Yeah. So we'll, we'll call it one or two. Uh, a, a really cute one is there's a, in the TV show, they recreated her desk exactly as it was in her, um, in the video game. So one of the actual environmental artists on Twitter in Naughty Dog shared, um, the, the photo going, Oh my God, they included the fun little, card of the dinosaur um that uh, she bought for her dad in a tube that you could see yeah. and it's literally a blink and you'll miss it all, a recreation of something that you could interact with the mm. card and they don't even show it in the tv show they just like, put it on the desk yeah so it's one of these like it's going to be literally easter egg hunting for people yeah. who've played the game yeah yeah I think, yeah, that I love that they're putting in these nods. You know, and again, you'd, you'd expect that with Neil Druckmann being involved and being the creator of of the games, Craig Mason being such a big fan of the yeah. games. That's that's how they that's how they met and how they collaborated together on the project was because two of them were fans of each other, uh, effectively. So, uh, so it's it's great that they have those nods. One of the choices that they made for the show, and it's it's not an Easter egg. It's just a great choice that they made for the show is, is continuing to include uh, the music from the, from the game uh, by Gustavo uh, Santiolala, uh, who is the composer for the music, because so many times when you're waiting for that game to load up, you hear that the beautiful chords uh, that he plays in the in what is now the opening theme for the show. Like you, you, anybody who would have uh, sat waiting for the game to load will have heard yeah, <laughs> that, yeah. that, uh, that, that, that beautiful music. And it's great and that they kept it because it's it, the right yeah. yeah, exactly. It's even right that the warning, you know, version of of that music, mm. you know, like in 2003 with just the shaking hand and the reflecting bracelet um, on Sarah's face mm. and with the yeah. gram in the Adlers and just the dark tone coming into that mm-hmm. that music as well. Absolutely. Um, the only note I've got is, you know, we do see the final stage of an infected here as Tess and Joel make their way sort of through their secret mm-hmm. routes and, um, towards the firefly headquarters uh where effectively all the fungus has finally sort of just mushroomed out mm. of um out of the infected person um and they're kind of just held there uh, against the wall again straight out of the the video game as mm. well and we see that but effectively the that's where the the fungal infection has expired their host yeah, um, yeah. and they're, they're dead and you can kind of see from tests this is a very rare thing it would be very rare that you would see a, a, an infected get to that stage because she's completely shocked by it she knows what it is of course but it's very rare that it happens i suppose yeah. because they probably clear out the uh, the area near to the quarantine zone pretty regularly yeah um, i was interested to hear joel say that they only had been outside uh it would have been a year since they'd been outside yeah um Given that he's a smuggler, and given that he's that they that they go in and out, I would have thought a bit more often so that they can pick up supplies to to smuggle and sell inside. Um, I thought they had been out more often than that, but uh, it was interesting to hear said said it's uh, it's been a year. 
it, it might be more mm. the official supply routes that are coming in. He is yeah, skimming yeah. off that, That's or true. he's got people involved in that, so mm. that yeah, he doesn't have to go out into the the dangerous outside world. Well, yeah, yeah. Um, also, love the visual of the uh, the fallen skyscraper. Uh, in the city of Boston uh, at the end of the episode. I thought that was so cool seeing the one skyscraper broken in half leaning up against another standing skyscraper, a really iconic uh, closing image for the episode as well. Definitely. Yeah. Oh, yeah, one other one. Uh, just a nod to another epidemic uh, that's going on. Um, did you notice that the, what they were trading for um, are opioids? Um, that's what Joel is taking and that's what the guard is taking are opioids. So when he talks about oxy or hydro, um, he's talking about uh, about opioids. So the opioid epidemic has not stopped uh, even twenty years after uh, where we are right now. So, well, that's true. Um, I mean, it just shows you, you know, when you're trying to escape, if you've got to mm. do it, I guess we'd all be on it in a in an apocalyptic world. <laughs> Use some over over the counter drugs and uh, or prescription drugs and uh, and whiskey, and uh, you'll get through any uh, any pandemic apparently. Or maybe ecstasy <laughs> from from the fungus. So, maybe there's you know, um, and psilocybin and yeah, so on. If if the outbreak had happened in uh, in 1995, uh, everybody'd be on ecstasy. I guess. <laughs> it's just a big wave inside. Exactly. <laughs> Everyone's just like, is it all right? Yeah, they just no one has any lips from chewing them all off. <laughs> Everyone's got glow sticks going. Uh, yeah, although that might pass the fungal infection, uh, unfortunately, a bit, a bit faster. Um, you know, as a music fan, I was wondering what would be the 90s uh what would what would the nineties songs mean? I was a little disappointed because it's two thousand and three that that it took place. That, that of course the Billboard Top one hundred hits book should cover all of the nineties as well, right? So, um, so if the eighties is danger, what's the nineties? That that's all that went the through end. my head. Yeah. The, end. the end, yeah, it was it, the end of music, and it's the end. Of- <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it, it reached its pinnacle in the nineties, yeah. I guess. So that's that's yeah, Backstreet Boys, Backstreet Back. God, you had to pick my my uh, my least favorite of all of the boy bands, didn't you, Chris? Uh, I know yeah. that was literally like right. I was going to say Kylie Minogue, but, uh, <laughs> but she started the eighties, so uh, so uh, she would probably. Yeah, be she should 80s. be so lucky to be the end of days. <laughs> there you go. Well, I think that's a very good point to our, finish our discussion on the Last of Us episode one. Overall, what did you think of the of the first episode? I think we uh, we're all pretty positive on it. Uh, Chris, what did you think overall? Uh, I loved it. Um, again, as someone who has played the game, the beginning of this game multiple of times, <laughs> I've got, I've got, I really need to finish. Does, this game. does that mean you die a lot, or that the game gets no, worse I as just, it goes on? <laughs> it was when it first came out. It was not that great, and well, it was beautiful story, just control wise. I didn't click, and I've tried it multiple times. I still haven't clicked, so I'm gonna do this and then watch this show and then pl- go play it. Hey, can I be um, honest? Yeah, when we we played the remastered version of this game uh, a couple of yeah. weeks ago, we we started a couple of weeks ago. We're about three quarters of the way through the the playthrough at the moment. Um, the scene where Joel and uh, Sarah are walking down to the uh, to the army guy in the episode here, uh, I got shot in that scene as Joel and died, <laughs> and then had to start the scene again. Right, so um, it it's one of those ones where you're not paying attention. Sometimes you can just look at a stray bullet and die. That does happen in the game, and this is how yeah. games work. So, so sometimes that happens. But uh, <laughs> but we have finished the game uh, a, a few times. So, or, or you yeah. panic uncontrollably when there are fungus. 
yeah. infected people uh, charging at you. Uh-huh. Um, and so you just run. Yes. Yeah. No. Sometimes I just run a lot in circles. <laughs> <laughs> Can't catch me. <laughs> exactly. Um, overall, look, I, I really enjoyed this. I think I knew what was coming, but I loved how they put it together. Mm. Um, Craig Mason is fantastic for focusing on what should be focused on, but giving everything else in the background and out of focus or in unique ways without having... A character coming in like Basil Exposition just giving a narrative drop yeah. and then walking away. Um, we got everything we needed up to where we're going mm-hmm. and literally beyond that. So I'm just excited. And I know it, it's a, it's a long episode. It's a long episode one, mm-hmm. so an hour 20. I know the remainder are like 55 to 60 plus kind of going in and we've got another eight. Mm-hmm. I'm so excited to see how they can then say 15, 20 hour, mm. let's say if, somewhere between that. You could say 15 hour narrative mm-hmm. into the space of that shorter period. Yeah. Uh, I really want to see how that, I know because this game is old uh, and being a, a very, uh, very much in the gaming ecosystem. Mm-hmm. I, I know the, how it ends. I know all the backstory because also I follow the actors who portrayed these characters mm-hmm. uh, originally in the game and I know their stories and they talk about it. I'm Neil Druckmann. I'm really in that. So I'm now more interested to see this adaptation mm-hmm. and what they make different um, without knowing the beat for beat. I know the major points. Yeah. So now I get to experience this as if I was wholly new, and I'm really looking forward to that. Excellent, excellent, and, I, and I'm, del- I'm I'm excited to see what you uh, what you think of uh, of the rest of the story that's told uh, over the course of the other episodes. I kind of feel like I know where the show is going to land at the end of season one, um, but the journey to get there is going to be really interesting. Yeah. I think it feels like it's in safe hands at the moment. Uh, how about yourself, John? What, what overall, what do you think of the episode? Yep, I absolutely love this. I give this five mushrooms on toast out of five. <laughs> um, I just, I'm so pleased that Craig Mason is involved. I really enjoy his sensibilities mm. in terms Chernobyl of the suffered. direction. Yeah, mm-hmm. I mean, Chernobyl, I loved. I thought it was gripping. Yeah. And I found this gripping. I found the whole, I mean, the prologue, you know, I really, a nice little, bit of different from the game i mean yes the game storyline is good this for me will condense it into sort of a a close you know a more closed timeline for me rather Mm -hmm. than me expanding it out so it you know it's just got that that level of urgency as well yeah um to it and i thought the prologue was really good i just thought the whole um section around in 2003 with the outbreak and just building up to that was just so cleverly done um in terms of delivering that big moment of the death of sarah which is you know a big moment i mean for me i i love other zombie i um shows you know i really enjoyed the walking dead Mm -hmm. for me it probably outstayed its welcome on on tv i didn't necessarily was never as excited and certainly towards the the latter part unlike yourself derek Mm -hmm. but um so i i I like how this is 
different in that it's not dealing with zombies. That whole, you know, for anyone thinking that this is The Walking Dead. It's not. It, 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 no, it's not. But what I mean is that that death of Sarah at the start means, you know, there's a different dynamic to the central person um, here. And I love how you see him broken down 20 years later and this new society um, really kind of hemmed in and confined by this outbreak. Mm-hmm. Um, I, so I, I just thought atmospherically it was great. I loved the, 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 the subtleness um, of some of the shots, um, in terms of with the, you know, that initial convulsing from Granny Adler, I thought mm-hmm. it was just spectacular. There's a moment as they're going through the no man's land bit as they're leaving the quarantine zone in Boston where there's just this capture of light as they're going through one of the big pipes, mm-hmm. um, of Tess's, uh, face in the light. And you see Ellie kind of really, you know, taking her lead sort of been a little bit afraid of what they're doing. Uh, I just thought it was so well done. Mm. I loved um, Tess, and I think Anna Torv, just superb. Um, I think when you think of John Hanna and Nico Parker, who plays Sarah, you know, I think got some really good actors here mm. for either just some very small appearances like John Hanna's or, you know, ones that have to deliver something really meaningful, but because of the nature of the... St- of the world in which they live, which is dangerous and threatening, mm. are likely to die. And I, I, you know, it's, it's really interesting to see how fantastic these actors are doing to bring so much depth. Yeah. So I absolutely love this, um, from start to finish. So for me, it's five mushrooms on toast out of five. Yeah, absolutely loved it. Excellent, excellent. I'll, I'll also have to give a bit of a shout out to Merle Dandridge. Great to see her uh, reprising her role of Marlene from the from the game. It's it's so surreal to see her because the game is so accurate in how it captures the the characters in motion capture that you really see her face, uh, yeah. uh, the same face that you've seen in the, in the game, yeah. which you don't see with any other uh, of the other actors or characters. So uh, so it was kind of cool to see uh, her on screen there as well. Excellent. Glad we all enjoyed this one. Looking forward to uh, to the next episode of the show. But we have a uh, have our first question in our World's End pub quiz for The Last of Us coming up. As I mentioned earlier on, uh, there will be nine questions over the course of uh, this season of The Last of Us. Uh, all you need to do is put together the answers for each of those questions and email us to feedback at tvpodcastindustries.com for your chance to get your hands on The Last of Us Part 1 for PlayStation 5 or PC. Uh, the PC version comes out in March at the end, when the series ends. So Perfect timing uh, for you. Uh, to to enter the uh, the competition to win that. If you want to add an extra entry, if you want to add an extra chance to get your hands on it, uh, you can also rate us on Apple Podcasts and send us an email uh, with your details of that rating, and uh, and we will pop you into the hat as well. Excellent stuff. So, John, do you want to give us the first question in the Last of Us World's End Poop Quiz? Yes, fellow survivors, uh, grab your glass or jam jar of moonshine in this uh, <laughs> and be prepared for your tonsils to be burnt off by the raw alcohol at the world's end pub quiz uh, question one which is for three points mm-hmm. there are three elements to the answer here question one Federer have identified three periods to full infection taking hold how long does it take for someone bitten on the neck, the torso, 
and the foot to become fully infected. I love this. I was resistant to having this as our question because um, The Walking Dead, for as an example, never put timelines on uh, on what happens after someone gets bitten and how long it takes to infection. So I was really loving seeing this in the show and I wanted to call it out as a cool point. But we've saved it for a question, so hopefully you saw that uh, in the episode. John, do you want to give the question one more time? Yes. Federer have identified three periods to full infection taking hold. How long does it take for someone bitten on the neck, the torso and the foot to become fully infected? Good stuff. As we said, at the end of the season, all you need to do is pop in your answers to us at feedback at tvpodcastindustries.com. Yes, so keep your eyes peeled to mm-hmm. the um, environment. Yes. Uh, in the quarantine zone for the answer. I'll give you a little hint because, yes, uh, it's in the environment um, as a piece of public safety information, I guess. That's a, more than a hint. I wow. know it is. But, you know, I, I recognize you could blink and you could miss this. For our regular fellow uh, listeners and fellow survivors, um, John consistently gives out to me for giving out clues. And because I didn't give out a clue, he's decided to give uh, it almost pointed out. Do you want to give this minutes and seconds? It was in the episode. I'm joking. No. I'm joking. <laughs> uh, no, we, we we hope we get lots of entries for this because it's a pretty good prize too. It is. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. Good stuff. But you've got to work for it, fellow survivors. Mm-hmm. Like, yeah. I guess, anyone who has survived the uh, apocalypse. Exactly. But gentlemen, let's head on over to some feedback from our fellow survivors. But before we do, let's just give a quick shout out. To those of us who have supported us on Patreon, and we want to especially thank Maria G, who helped support this podcast. Thank you. Excellent stuff. Thank you, Maria G, uh, for your support. Uh, really, really appreciate it. Absolutely. Thank you so much, Maria, for your support. And thanks to everybody that supports us over on Patreon. Absolutely. Yes. And if you want to be like Maria, you can head on to patreon.com slash TV podcast energies, where you can support us for any credit amount, like the guys in The Last of Us. Yes, you can support us by choosing any amount on an ongoing monthly basis, and that will come straight in and help keep the lights on, the podcasters going, uh, and essentially just keep the servers and the website in a state of energy. You know, it helps. It really does every little bit. But if you want to just give a quick one-off donation, why not head on over to buymeacoffee.com slash TVPI, where you can keep our editor-in-chief, the wondrous Derek, in caffeine. We actually use Buy Me A Coffee by buying him coffee and sometimes red wine, sometimes moonshine, deep into the wee hours <laughs> as he edits away. Sometimes mushroom volivons. <laughs> yes. oh sometimes just mushrooms, given how much <laughs> editing I'm doing, <laughs> to be honest. <laughs> but, as well, if you ain't got any credits, don't worry, we appreciate any support you can you can like, share, subscribe, and more importantly, share the podcast with all your friends, families, your grannies, and even that granny that sits in the corner and twitches <laughs> before she runs after you. Because sharing the podcast is what, gentlemen? Sharing the love. Sharing the love. And the spores. Yes, sharing the, the spores, spores with that granny. Sharing the spores, exactly. <laughs> Excellent stuff. Good stuff, Gentlemen, yes. should we get some feedback? Absolutely. Yeah. Let's get over to Facebook uh, for some feedback from our wonderful fellow survivors. First up, Victor Von Doom says, Another home run for HBO. I was totally impressed with the acting and storytelling in this episode. I was so happy to see Anna Torv because I loved her in Fringe. Nico Parker and Bella Ramsey certainly have bright acting careers ahead of them. I live in an Xbox household, though, so I pre-ordered the PC version of this game. Can't wait to play it. 
Ooh, maybe Victor needs to cancel his pre-order and enter our, <laughs> our, uh, our end of the world pub quiz, I think. Well, absolutely. There's a thought, Victor. Yeah. Uh, you're now in a dilemma, I guess. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Keep your pre-order just, to, just in case just you don't get case. it. But yeah. hey, you might, ha- you might uh, not have to get it. There yeah. you go. Good stuff. Glad you enjoyed it, Victor. Yeah, absolutely. Um, yeah, absolutely with you around Anatov. Loved her in Fringe mm-hmm. as well. Um, and yeah, I mean, th- these two young actors in Nico Parker and Bella Ramsey, um, just superb, you know, yeah. there's a lot of expectation. Uh, and certainly when you've seen them in previous stuff, certainly with regards to Bella Ramsey. Um, I think every single Game of Thrones fan loves Bella Ramsey yeah. for her, uh, for a couple of episodes on that show. Definitely. So, um, absolutely really pleased, uh, with the mark that they made in this episode. Mm-hmm. Excellent. Yes, thank you so much, Victor. Appreciate the feedback. Next up, we have some feedback from Wendy Ott Eppers, who had this to say. Loved it. The infected look wicked cool. Their creepy sharp movements and the fungus coming out of their mouths. What? (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, pretty much. Yeah. But I did say the fungus looked tasty. Again, put it on some toast, you know. (laughs) You thought it looked tasty? I thought it was like docking with... The, it was the, her daughter was. that that, uh, that she was eating, like dropping into her neck. It, it was like worms like falling into the other person to infect them. It looked cool, but yeah. not tasty. It looked really cool. Yeah, <laughs> excellent. Thanks, Wendy. Yeah, thanks, Great to Wendy. Hear from you. We also got some feedback in from Mindy Megan, who says the monsters infected are giving me big annihilation vibes. I wonder if there's any visual FX connections there. I think the biggest visual reference that stood out to me was the fungus wall soldier who'd grown into the wall of the pool. Both images are so creepy and beautiful. Mm. Yeah, it it's really um it is creepy. I mean there's almost for me as well Hannibal vibes uh off this where he effectively plants the corpses in and um, the the mushroom beds for all the fungus to grow out of the the bodies. Yes, and one of the killers did that. That was back in that season one or, or season two of episode one of Hannibal, yeah. our first show that we ever covered as TV podcast industries. John, yeah, exactly. <laughs> but totally um, can see that connection uh, between that the 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 infected in Last of Us and that infected. Uh, soldier uh, on the wall in Annihilation mm. as well. Yeah, Mindy's kindly sent us some uh, some images from uh, from Annihilation and comparing it to The Last of Us, it does look really interesting, doesn't it? Yeah, Annihilation, mm. the Alex Garland movie. Um, I know the designs in that are obviously very different uh, overall, but I can totally see what you mean by that, Mindy. Yeah, definitely. Definitely. Our final piece of feedback comes from Richard Blaze. Wow. I mentioned previously, I'm not a huge fan of the games, having only played them for a few hours, but this show looks like it's going to be the next massive thing. Mm -hmm. Knowing a little of the story helped somewhat, but to be fair, the whole setup and extended opening different from the game felt like they wanted to focus on quality storytelling and believable characters, something this had in abundance. Loved it. Yep, pretty much agree with you right there, Rich. Like, it's exactly like giving it all those extra breathing room for the first kind of making a 20, an extra 20 minutes long. Mm -hmm. Just, and something you probably only do in some of these HBO and or streaming just gives it that character driven setup. 
Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. Do you know uh, uh, one final fascinating story? I'm really sorry. I just thought it was great. I've been looking at all the behind the scenes stuff this week. Um, did you know that originally Craig Mazin and Neil Druckmann came to it thinking that the episode was going to end with Joel putting the body into the fire of the kid 20 years later? That's how they were going to end this episode of the show. There wasn't going to be any introduction of Ellie, no Tess, nothing like that in the episode. And the guys at HBO went, if you did that, you would basically have the death of Sarah followed by the burning of a child and then go to credits. People need a little reason to come back next week. We know it's bleak. We know there's going to be bleak moments in the story, but doing those two things back to back and then ending the episode would mean people wouldn't come back next week. Do you know what? HBO executives, good job. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. Every now and again, you got to say, well done, executives. HBO genuinely tend to get it right more often than not it seems so uh but uh yeah really really interesting great stuff richard glad you're glad you're enjoying it we have a voicemail in for this Ah, episode from the wonderful mr steve brown as long as he's not clicking down the other end i don't mind he's not he's not i promise here you go thanks steve Low TV Podcast Industries, this is Steve, and this is for The Last of Us, episode one. I've only watched it once, so I, I need to really watch it again. I was a bit, I was underwhelmed by it. I mean, the acting was good, the writing was good. I was, the, the cold open from 1968 to 2003, all that had me really, really intrigued. But then the 20-year jump just jarred me. Like, like don't get me wrong, I was emotionally affected by uh, Joel losing his daughter there. But then, you know, 20 years later, we, we see him again and I'm just, I don't know. I'm, uh, yeah, I don't know. I, I'm just, I was a bit or, or, uh, underwhelmed by it. I, I, that's the only word I can, I can say. I'm going to keep watching and definitely keep, uh, sending in some feedback. Uh, but you know, as a non-game player, maybe that's why this didn't hit me as as strongly as other people. I guess people said that the the first thirty minutes of the game really hit them uh, emotionally. Uh, yeah, no, it was emotional to see him lose his daughter. But then twenty years later, he's you know, don't give me again. I don't want to say it's wrong for him to still be grieving and. and mad about that but anyway so uh, yeah i'm gonna press on and uh hopefully uh it'll impress me some more all right talk to you later good stuff thanks thanks steve uh for your thoughts there really interesting to hear uh to hear your thoughts especially as an on-gamer you know it's interesting we were talking beforehand you know this this uh game has only ever been on the playstation so they're even gamers uh, lots of them won't have ever even had the opportunity to play the play the game and it may not have you know hit with some people you know exactly as chris said you know he only got through basically what's in these first two episodes and didn't get any more of the story didn't get any more delivery to him of the story so i'm hoping that it's working really well for people that haven't heard the story or haven't seen the story before and the opening half hour of the game that people always say they're affected by is just to the death of sarah and that shot across the bow to you as a gamer is exactly as you see in the episode 20 years later you've just played half an hour of a game been really emotionally affected by what's going on and then it cuts and you don't know what's happened to Joel. You don't know what you don't get the impact other than him with his with his daughter dead in front of him. Um, you learn that as the rest of it, as the rest of the story goes along, what the actual impact has been on him and how much his life has changed. So, um, so it is a, a real gut punch uh, when you're playing it as a game. And I think the gut punch for me definitely comes across in the same way in the show. But 
let's see if the rest of the story plays out as well as it does in the in the game as well it's i don't think it's lauded as a game just because of those opening 30 minutes they are really affecting but the rest of the game also has lots more of interesting characters that we meet and interesting uh, storylines and interesting paths to go down as the series goes on as well so hopefully the rest of it uh, will hit you a bit closer steve yeah and i i think what we're seeing in that 20 year break it's not joel it's it's the outcome of the grief mm-hmm. and how it's changed him yeah um and I guess the reality of the the new world yeah. and, you know, I get the approach is to do that time jump so that yeah. you see the broken society. Absolutely. Um, or the changes that have been enforced because of this um, the, this outbreak. So I, I think, it you know, as we were chatting at on our points it, it's he you know he, it, it's changed him that mm-hmm. that moment has changed him yeah. and he's a more broken or cynical um, or angry person as a result of it yeah but uh, but also processing the grief over the course of 20 years as the world collapses around it changes you in a different way than it would if, if it was if he if it had just been a 20-year time shift you know we talked about fedra being really brutal now but remember they've done 20 years of people walking to their door saying they're safe and they've probably seen the impact of not killing someone that that has been infected yeah. they've probably seen the impact of that so they are while they look really brutal to us because we've just jumped the 20 years in time they've probably started out quite lenient and gotten more and more brutal as those 20 years go got on and that's what i love about this storytelling this idea that they've just done black screen 20 years later and now you've got to catch up on why people are the way they are and how the world has changed i love that well it's even tess mentions that with the two kids that have beaten her up Mm -hmm. uh, robert that that you know they were teenagers so they don't know how to discuss it's always fist first or violence first because this world uh, necessitates it they were born Um, after the outbreak you know because they were yeah exactly so that that was that's kind of a really interesting take is that, you know, there are, uh, pre and post outbreak, you know, characteristics here because mm-hmm. it's a changed world. There's new reality. Um, yeah. it's not spa time. It's, <laughs> it's hammer time effectively well, because yeah. you've got to, um, look after and survive. Mm-hmm. It's a survival situation. Yes. It's wrench time. Yeah, that's no, hey. there, you go. there you go good stuff thanks so much Steve for your voicemail if anybody wants to send us in a voicemail you can just record it and email it to feedback at tvpodcastindustries.com uh, you can also record a voicemail on our on our website just go to tvpodcastindustries.com there's a button there where you can record up to 90 seconds of your feedback as well uh, you can also join our Facebook group at facebook.com slash groups slash tvpodcastindustries where you can share your thoughts on the spoiler post on there for The Last of Us each week and not only are we covering The Last of Us for a bit of levity, particularly this week, <laughs> um, we are also covering Star Wars The Bad Batch every week. That show comes out on Wednesdays, uh, and our podcast is on our main feed on TV Podcast Industries. Uh, so just search TV Podcast Industries wherever you listen to podcasts, and you can get uh, all of our coverage from The from the Last of Us to The Bad Batch. There you go. We, we like to cover all bases on our show. Yeah. We'll be back next week with our next discussion about The Last of Us Episode 2, Infected which releases on HBO Max on the 22nd of January and on Sky Atlantic outside of North America on the 23rd of January. 
Yes. Only, only a couple you hours Americans behind you. Americans getting that extra 24 hours. Damn you. I know. Well, if we didn't have jobs, <laughs> it comes out exactly the same time on Sky Atlantic as it does on HBO in the US. So it would yes. be... 2 a.m. <laughs> 3 a.m. our time, I think, or 2 a.m. Yeah. our time. Yep. So uh, so we're probably not going to do that unless uh, we have a couple of bank holidays between now and, uh, and the end of the series. <laughs> we might do it then. Only... Oh, we could watch it after the Super Bowl. There exactly. you go. Literally yeah. watch Super the Bowl. Super Bowl and then go straight into HBO yeah. and then kind of record and we'd be really bleary eyed. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> Absolutely. You know, we booked our day off for Super Bowl, so I think I'm going to do that. Mm. Excellent. But that's coming up later in the season. You might get our bleary eyed thoughts after a Super Bowl and, uh, and The Last of Us <laughs> later on in the season. Thanks so much for joining us for this episode. We hope you stay with us for the rest of the season. Yes. Thank you so much. This week again soon. Yeah. Thank you so much, fellow survivors, for joining us for our discussion of The Last of Us episode one. We'll see you next week, but in the meantime, keep watching, keep listening, and keep... Bye. Bye.